welcome back to Cinema Cemetery with Dan and Kate. And today... Clover's here, too. Oh, uh, yes. Got Clyde. my little Pitbull mix, Clover. And, and Clyde, he's he's healing. Poor Clyde. He uh, recently suffered a tooth extraction. Okay, no, wait. So, stop. D- suffer... Okay. So, recently, by recently, you mean 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Well, poor Clyde. He's an old dog, and uh, his tooth is hanging by a thread, and so... Just a quick tug. It was like the Berenstain Bear is visiting the dentist. You know when brother gets in that chair? No, it was dramatic and horrible. So Clyde and I are snuggled up on the couch, not minding anyone's business. And Dan comes over and like opens Clyde's mouth and is like, Clyde, is it time to pull your tooth? As I'm literally like laying my head on the dog. And so without like I didn't even know what was happening and all of a sudden dan is like being a dentist he like gets he's like i'm i'll be right back comes back with a paper towel and 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 pulls the tooth out while clyde is just laying on the couch minding his own business it's true but not a drop of blood and not a yelp from clyde and uh, a little sore right now but he'll be fine yeah and, Better in the and what about run. kate also traumatized by the whole experience no that's what this uh that's what this is all about today, and I guess that's why we did it. It's, Get you in the mood that's, for trauma. That's exactly that's exactly what. And happened. I have that trauma experience, and so we're back for episode three of Freezing Cold Takes, and we're very excited because after two episodes, we have finally seen a movie. I know it's our first movie, uh, and we did. I didn't we, fall asleep not once. No. We started with, for those of you just joining us, we started with Wings, a silent film, and then we started with the Broadway Melody of 1929, the second one. A real snooze fest. Yeah, not not great. Uh, Although your two-year-old loved it. He was just happy to hear songs. But now we finally have a movie with a plot and characters, and uh, And so it was really different. Movie number three is All Quiet on the Western Front, 1930. Mm -hmm. Starring Lou Ayers. Lou Ayers. Yeah, not a lot of recognizable actors in the modern sense, but uh, good for the time. So, um, All Quiet on the Western Front is our first movie, which isn't hard because it's only the third movie, to be based (laughs) off of some other medium. It's based off the book, All Quiet on the Western Front, actually written by a German author. And that leads us to a little bit of the plot. This is not your typical war movie to be shown in the United States. It's not. Why is that? Um, because it takes the perspective of the German side. Right. This is the uh, central forces during World War One. I. I just feel like I won a trivia right there. We didn't prep any of that. I like knew where you were going. Yeah. I just wanted to put that out there. So you're rooting class. for the Germans this whole time, or sort of. So all quiet on the Western Front. Did you want to start with uh, what the what the book starts with? Okay. Is that is this how the book starts? Yeah. Okay. So like a little bit of background here. Um, Dan and I were both English majors. Dan went on, so we have a, an affinity of that kind of stuff. Dan went on to be an English teacher. Am I allowed to say that on air? So he, so he teaches, like, do you teach this book in class? Uh, yeah, last year I did. Okay. A couple so like, times. So, so you knew going into this what was happening. Oh, or right. Least, yeah, like I had no, this was, I was just smacked across the face with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it opens with, imagine, put your put yourself in my shoes where you're just sitting down, hit and play. Um, so the movie opens after the credits with a bit of text on the screen. And I guess this is how the book starts as well. Dan? Yes. Okay. Um, 
It says, This story is neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all an adventure, for death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will try to simply tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. Dot, dot, dot. So, like, that is a heavy Saturday morning beginning. Right. And, they, you know, going in, this is a war movie. And you might have been thinking after seeing Wings, oh, it's going to show how great war is. But this is uh, not what this movie one of the is. first times, at least in pop culture, modern culture, you see war being portrayed in eh, sort of its actual sense. And they, they spell it out for you right from the beginning. So this story follows Paul Baumer, or Paul Balmer, depending on how you pronounce it, and his friends, and they are young German students. They are recruited by their society and, most importantly, by their teacher to join the German powers and defend the fatherland. They, of course, go to boot camp, and then they are very quickly sent off to the front where they learn. It's very different than they thought it would be at home. And it really just follows their experience through the war. While there is a sort of a plot, Paul is our main character and we follow him through the story, I wouldn't say it's so much a, a matter of uh, something happening, but more a series of episodes, an episodic plot yeah, is probably more accurate. Yeah, time. And they take you through, I believe it's three or four years uh, before we get to the end. So there's really not a lot to speak of as far as plot, uh, but we can definitely talk about some of the, the key scenes and the key episodes as we go along the way. Yeah, I would say the movie slowly, and I'm not sure if it correlates with the book, although you say it's pretty true to the text, except toward the end there, it kind of mixes things up. But I would say it's with each new episode, it slowly builds in intensity, in demonstrating the losses of war, and demonstrating, I would say, kind of like that that slow build of stress until it's kind of the explosion of stress within... Right, and so it starts off in, there's a parade going down the street, and the Germans are marching off to war, and we pull back, and suddenly we're in this classroom, and there's a teacher who is clearly not teaching to the standards. Uh, he doesn't seem <laughs> to be following the curriculum. I'm not quite sure what they do in this school. That was a but, teacher joke, for Yeah, sure. he's, but he's going on and on and on about the importance of you know, defending the fatherland and duty and honor, and this is probably one of the more um, important scenes in the show, and they keep cutting between him and then the faces of the boys, and they are transfixed as they want wonder should we join it culminates with everyone standing up declaring yes i will join i will join i will join and i it's really important this scene is first because you've just seen that text on the screen you know these people are going to be destroyed in some way uh, and then immediately we get this almost cheerful scene to start the film off and then i thought it was interesting we go to a scene that i felt i'd seen before but it's one of those instances where i thought i'd seen it before because You've seen it in so many other movies, the boot camp sequence. Which part of the boot camp sequence Just the whole was thing. familiar to you? Like, would it, the yelling, the, Himmelstoff, yeah, they arriving at boot row. camp. You got these arrogant young men. They arrive at boot camp. They think they know what they're doing. They think it's going to be almost fun. And then suddenly they're just yelled at all the time by the mean boot camp master. Harsh reality. Right. Of this, you know, we've seen this in Captain America. We've seen this in Full Metal Jacket. You've seen this in Forrest Gump. Uh, this is a scene mm-hmm. that's been redone. I've only seen one of those. Only one of those. It's Forrest Gump. Annie, if you've ever seen a movie with a boot camp scene, it was probably <laughs> mimicking All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, yeah, like in that movie Hilary Duff was in, Cadet Kelly. Or that Andrew Garfield movie where he plays like the 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 doctor or something. 
Sure. Any any movie with boot camp. One would think that we are very well versed in film. If you have seen a boot camp movie, it it's from here. And so you have the uh, the uh, what's he called? The drill sergeant. The drill sergeant. Pretty Himmelstas. big jerk. Everyone Himmelstuss. Everybody yells at. Uh, everybody's unhappy to see him. He makes them crawl through the mud. He intentionally ruins their leaves. He messes up their clothes. Eventually, they prank him, which apparently was a thing you could do back then. That was the other thing. Was they okay? I feel. Can we can we pull back a little bit? Because mm-hmm. I feel like we're getting mired here, and in, in um much like the men in the mud. Oh dear God! In this scene that they were. They were crawling through the mud. So, Dan, listen. I feel like we need to be, we need to pull back a little bit. I feel like we're getting mired in plot right now. Oh, no. I just wanted to talk about how this uh, scene is something we've seen before. But, yeah, we can go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. That's all I got. Oh, all right. Um, What was the, for you, what was the scene that hit you the hardest or spoke to you hmm that's a a good question definitely the scene at the end but i won't talk about that now because that's at the end and maybe we want to build to that uh so if i pick the second best scene i think it was the the scene where they're all um waiting out the bombardment so they're all in the tent and they're trying to play cards and they have they they say they've been up for basically two days straight they've been bombing Mm -hmm. all night uh, and you really just see it in their faces, just how antsy everybody is. The 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 uh, building keeps shaking, uh, and and the bombs just keep going and going and going. And uh, you know, World War One is probably one of the least familiar wars we have. It, there's not a lot of scenes of people heroically charging. It was really just a matter of waiting and waiting and waiting. And so that was the first scene you. You're, you're kind of building the suspense. You know something's happening. You really just see how much it's taking out on them, and then suddenly it's silent. Mm-hmm. And something has changed. And so now the battle is going to begin. And so I think that kind of hit me the first time. It was the first time they were actually going to leave the trench and charge out into it. Okay. Yeah, I would agree that definitely you feel the pressure as people are just waiting. And that pre- they, they did a very good job at building that, that tension. I would say for me, you know, even on the little advertise, like the little synopsis um, on the movie itself, Uh, On the little, like, before you hit play, it said this was a famously anti-war movie, right? Uh, And warning you about the dangers of war. And so the first scene that hit me in, oh, so this is, this movie is is going right for it, is when Bane, the the innocent one that didn't necessarily want to join, and his friends all peer pressured him into joining, the military and they are going out on their first like nighttime job. They have to relay the barbed wire and he got hit with a shell and was blinded and just lost his shit. Right. Like he lost it. And because he couldn't maintain his cool and his injury, he ended up getting taken out by machine fire. And I think that was my, my first realization that this movie was offering more than just a blanket. Oh, war is bad but offering it on several layers of the innocence of war and the naivete of war and what we're doing when we're asking 18-year-old men to sign up and glorify it and that kind of thing. And I think his friends and how they reacted was a very meaningful scene for me. And speaking of reaction, that actually reminds me of one of the scenes that comes pretty close after that, 
it's not just what you just said, but it's the dehumanization of war. Mm -hmm. So there's a character shortly after that is injured, and he finds out that he has got his leg amputated. They go to visit him in the hospital, his leg amputated. And his friends, a couple of them are, oh, that we're upset. Oh, no, you'll be fine. But then another one says, hey, uh, can I have your boots? Right. right, and that's that's just the first, not even thinking. First place he goes because it it really that that's all that really and matters. And his justification is, well, he can't use them anyway. <laughs> right, you're not going to use them anyway. You're <laughs> going is, home. You don't need boots. Better is, give them to me than somebody else. Which I, you know, it makes sense. And but. it's something everyone's thinking in their head, right? Like before he even said it, I was like, well, he can't use them anyway. But not realizing to wait, right? Everyone's so like fight or flight survival that mm-hmm. you're not thinking about that. And then it's probably one of the better sequences in the film. He does end up uh, end up taking the boots, and then we see where do these boots go? Uh, suddenly they're on the the legs of this guy, and again the camera's down. It's just following the boots. Then he dies. Somebody else has picked them up. He's marching. We don't even know these characters. They don't even have right. names. Uh, so we see the progression of these boots, and it's so quick. It not only shows the progression of time, but just how disposable the men are. Whereas the boots seem to be the most durable aspect of the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that was a that was a powerful moment. Yeah. I I would be interested to see or hear from other people. We need to start inviting guests on. I've just oh, yeah. I've decided we should invite guests. Well, I think our next episode we're actually going to take a little time jump uh to see a movie from far later in the timeline and we're going to have someone watch that with us. So maybe we can have a guest guest speaker on that one. Who who? Uh, Teresa will be there to see oh, the film. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that a surprise though. Our next film is not going to be Cimarron 1931. We're going to take a little jump forward. I think that's for the best. Yeah. Um, is there any other kind of imagery you want us to sort of talk about a little bit before we jump to my next thing that I have in my mm, arsenal? That's a good question. Um, no, I think the uh, it, it's hard to describe in, in an audio format. I think. I would say I would say the things that I I was. Do you think maybe I was so impressed because we had watched such bad movies before that I was so excited about this one? I was like, oh, it's great. Um, do you think that's possible? No, but prop maybe, but I think it's rare you see such a, a straight-up anti-war war movie like this, even like Saving Private Ryan or something like that. It, you, you tend to be rooting for the hero. and yeah, the, you, You're not really no... rooting for anybody here. You're, you no. feel, feel, just feel bad for them. You you don't really know what you want from them. Do you want them to go home? Do you want them to be... Uh, you don't really it know. It also took me most of the movie to realize that Paul was the main character because mm-hmm. there were so many... like. I can't emphasize how many because at one point we're watching it and I was like, why are we so concentrating on this dude? And Dan was like, because that's the main character. His face has been here this whole time. But at the beginning in that opening sequence, like they had zoomed in on everyone's face and there had been so many men that had been like zoomed in on and then killed. And, And I couldn't discern a main character because all the characters are so disposable. Yeah. It was like Game of Thrones, but worse almost. Yeah. If you read the novel, it's very clearly from Paul's perspective, but the movie masks it a little bit more. Yeah. Probably intentionally. But I think it's interesting because it is an anti-war movie. And I was really moved by, I think I started thinking about war from the perspective of today and how it was that meat grinder in that time and during world war one and not to say that it is not that but i think the style of war is different but also it made me think about 
all of those aspects of war that I think often because of where we are, we don't think about that. We and, don't have those kind of in your face experiences. And even beyond that, there's that aspect of a paradigm shift where something changes and it's just it's so dramatic that not the rest of the world hasn't caught up yet. By World War II, everyone had planes and tanks and everybody knew what to expect. And so there was no trench warfare because everybody had a way around it. And so it was almost a more even playing field. But in, in this case, the machine gun had just changed it so much. The battle mm-hmm. tactics hadn't caught up yet and it was devastating. Yeah. And you see that in positive aspects in life. Something like the smartphone shows up or something like and the automobile. Everything. It just yeah. disrupts in a positive way. And then you also see in a negative sense where you get you get a new piece of technology too early and before the rest of the world can catch up it's it's devastating yeah, yeah that's a good point yeah. um but I, I was also gonna say it is anti-war but also not in your face if that makes sense like you know how sometimes people can try to provide an argument that is purely emotional right um Whereas it felt like, and maybe this is me using my emotions, it felt like the story was just being given as real as possible. And so you, the viewer, or you, the reader, are simply taking in the story as it unfolds and deriving that conclusion from that. Um, And it didn't feel like, sometimes people can kind of just hit you over the head with an argument of like, this is bad. But it just, it, it was hitting you over the head, but with reality and not hyperbole yeah I, I felt it did hit you over the head a little too much i thought it got repetitive at times but it also wasn't following your plot pyramid where it seemed to get worse and worse and worse. like the, some of the worst stuff happened at the beginning mm-hmm. and, and at and at the end it was just this is this is the progression of it mm-hmm. okay okay um i did some research so this time kate did research i know that's what happens when we see a real film. I know. I was texting Dan. I was like, Dan, I'm actually looking up stuff. Um, so I was interested in a couple of things. One, the man that um, was Cat, the, the, the main guy. And if you've watched this, you'll understand who he is. He's the veteran that's already been in the field when Paul and his friends show up. And he sort of their mentor throughout the story. Yeah. So that's played by Lewis Robert Wolheim. And I couldn't stop staring at him because his face looks like it's a potato that has just been like beaten up. He looks like Radigan almost from the uh, Great Mouse Detective. Yes, but maybe not as maybe like a shorter version. But yeah, like he just looks like that typical like almost fifties mob guy. And so I just I just needed to know more about him. Um, And so most of his career was in silent films or on stage. And he was typecast as this like hard rough either mobster or otherwise um but what i thought was really interesting was he died this was one of his last movies really he died the night he died 1931 from they thought so let me pull up sorry i'm like doing all of this all at once um they thought oh so he was preparing for a role for the movie the front page which was also directed by this director and he had to lose a lot of weight for it. And they thought that he had died as a result of all the weight loss because he just dropped dead one day. And they thought, oh, it was a heart attack because he was losing so much weight. But it turned out he had stomach cancer. Oh. And he was only 50, 51. Um, but he's interesting because he was a consummate stage actor. He had done quite a lot on Broadway. So this he was a heavy hitter. Um, Lou Ayers, on the other hand, had gone on to become a huge movie star. But this was one of his 
earlier films and he was just a kid um and so i think you know lou Ayers was a shining star in that and they had this other guy this lewis wolheim to back him up because he was a more consummate performer uh but this was just a little baby lou Ayers when he was just a little kid oh, okay showing That's up on good, stage good, uh, film trivia there Mm-hmm. Louis is also married Ginger Rogers, which I thought was interesting. There's a number of faces you feel like you recognize, though you're not quite sure. But then again, we don't watch 30s movies very often. Also, while I was like knee deep in like Louis trivia, I I knew that he had played Doctor Kildare. Do you have any idea how many Doctor Kildare f- films there are? I don't think I've seen any of them. I haven't seen any of them. There's so many, like so many. We talk about sequels now. Yeah. Dan, I'm saying there's like eight or ten. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta dig deeper in this i swear um but anyway that was that was my my oh yeah this was his fourth movie fourth movie all Um, right any other questions before we get to the rankings mm, no i don't think i have any other questions i think that was pretty much it okay all right so as we do every week Where do we rank this movie? Currently, we're recording this in 2019, so there's 91 slots. We had Wings at 75. We had Broadway Melody. We, at the moment, are putting it at 91. Where does this film belong if we had to rank it amongst all the others, most of which at this point we haven't seen? So I hear that, and I want to put it up in the top, I would say, 10 to 20. And and this is why. Because I think when you're watching earlier films and you see things that were that were ripped off in films since then, it means that this film is showing a standard in some way or creating the standard or creating the um, the cookie cutter or the oh the pattern mm-hmm. for others to to replicate. And so I do think that this film with some of the camera work that was done with the boot camp scene like you're talking about, but also that kind of episodic telling of a story. This is the first time that we're seeing a film that really did it, did it well because it won um, and is well known. And so I would say that this is something that other movies have pulled from, whether it was the first time it was done, but I would say this, this is something other people look to. Okay. No, I, I think I would agree with most of that. I, I, I might rank it a little lower, oh, maybe 25, okay. only because it is a lot of what this movie did well is from the book, right? And so, okay. and that's not a criticism of the film, but the, the book was what really had the plot, had the characters, had the scenes. And this movie did a great job of showing them, but I think there's something to be said for an original product versus a... A, a, a you bring up an that excellent you're, that you're point. From okay. the book. Um, then again, you know, you could look at a movie like Gone with the Wind. Very few people have read that book, but everybody knows the movie. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, this is one of the ones that most people have probably read the book as something that gets read in high school quite a bit. So, okay, so I, now I, I missed it. I might put it down at 25. And again, it kind of has a boost because of what it did early. It doesn't hold up to modern standards, but yes, it did set the stage, did have a really unconventional plot structure and uh and, and it still uh gets you right it's still that emotional pull you, you, even though there's a few corny laugh moments where you know we really don't talk like that anymore um there's definitely some moments where you you feel it so yeah i think the 20s we can we can agree okay. on the other thing is they're all germans i was listening to a podcast recently i think it was like dana carvey um and he was commenting about how 
um, if it's a war movie or whatever and British people are playing Germans, they're still talking in a British accent. Or if they're playing, you know, any other culture, it's still Brits talking in a British accent. And here we have an entire movie told from the German perspective done by Americans talking in the American accent. Yeah, not even a British accent. <laughs> just, just the most American at all. At all. Yeah. They even were... when the old German man is, is telling them and to go to war. his name is Himmelstoss. Yeah, like... yeah. He's saying, shut up. Get to work. And there's yeah. no, like, there was no... Transatlantic accent, not even an American accent. I don't even think it was transatlantic, though. Like, that has more of, like, a His Girl Friday. Yeah. Hey, what do you say? Let's go to war. A little bit. A little bit of that. But yeah, so pretty good pretty good showing. I think this is up there, this film. I'm here for it. Yeah. I like Obviously. it. Obviously. And I don't believe we have another war movie until Gone with the Wind, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. So... Not too long. But like I said, next episode, we're actually going to be jumping into the future. And you'll find out what that is next time. I'm so excited. Right. Do you think we can convince Tess to come on the podcast? Oh, yeah. She can make a guest appearance. I don't know how she's going to get the headphones, but we're just going to have to talk real loud. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. A a movie is actually being re-released in theaters and we have an opportunity to see it the way it was meant to be seen. So two hours of nothing, 40 minutes of awesome. Oh, I think it's even longer than that. Oh, dear God. A little bit of a hint there. All right. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on Cinema Cemetery. I'm Dan. And I'm Kate. And we'll see you next time. From now on, I'll go.